The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. From Wall Street to Davos, Micah White was the co-founder of the Occupy movement. Now, his activist graduate school teaches people how to make campaigns camp. Naomi Wadler is one of the faces of the U.S. gun control movement. She made a landmark speech at the 2018 March for Our Lives and is only 13. SWAT teams go through my school to check to see if the shooter was in there. and I, I was here to make a change so that me and my younger peers don't have to go through that again. Gina Rossero is a transgender supermodel. She's told her story at TED Talks in the United Nations, and now her production company aims to help other trans people tell their stories. Trans rights are human rights! Trans rights are human rights! Trans rights are human rights! I'm Axel Threlfall, and this is The World at WEF, a Reuters podcast breaking down all things Davos. Today I spoke to gun safety activist Naomi Wadler, Occupy founder Micah White, and gender-proud founder Gina Rossero about what it means to be an activist and how to be effective in today's climate, despite what Trump says. I'm then joined by Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who gives us his take on this mountain extravaganza, as well as which Democrat he thinks will win out in Texas. Here are highlights from our panel discussion. Really, really delighted to welcome all three uh, these change makers to the studio this morning. Really good to have you with us. Uh, let's let's see if we can uh, uh, if we can really generate some some lively dialogue. Now, first time for all of you to Davos. Yes. Yeah. Yep. First time. Okay. We'll come back to that. But I'm going to start with something a little bit more serious, and that was the president, the U.S. president yesterday, and what he said about activists. He said he called you know, and I'm, I'm kind of this is loose, but he 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 referred to activists as the heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers. Basically, saying the next generation are making the same mistakes as those who predicted doom and gloom in the 70s uh, and the 80s. How how do you convince him that that he's wrong? How do you convince everyone else here that he's wrong? I think I, I, the very fact that we're here, we're standing up and telling our story. I think it. You know, if our governments are not going to advocate for our rights or won't respect the dignity of people that are usually othered or not usually heard, here we are telling our story and using our platforms. Yeah. What's, what's, it, what's it like, Naomi, for you being called uh, the voice of your generation? I mean, this is a, this is a massive responsibility. Well, I think it makes up for the fact that the president is so ignorant. I feel that back on your question that you just asked, I mean, we can't really change his mind or convince him because that man is very set in his beliefs, like his father probably was, like his grandfather probably was, and so we can't really do anything about that generational ignorance. But for me, it's really rewarding to be... Um, to be figuring out that I'm helping people mm -hmm. and of course it makes me feel good but it's um, important like Micah said yesterday to be doing it for the right reason yeah. and not doing it because it makes you feel good and, because and, and yeah and, and what and okay and Michael I'll come to you in a second but what what, what, are, what are the right reasons um, because you want to make a difference yeah. and because you want your words to be affecting people and you want this world to be a better place I think that a lot of people are very like, oh, I, it's cool to be an activist, it's trendy to be an activist, so I'm going to, like, go march in the streets and take Instagram pictures, you know? Sure, but that's sure, not what it's sure, about. Sure, Yeah, all right. Uh, Micah, yeah, I'd like to get your reaction to what the president had to say, but also you, you put a piece out and you talked about, you know, the two sides, the, el the elites and activists getting together, and this is going to be a, a pretty messy alliance trying mm -hmm. to make this work. Is, is that the sense you're getting here this year in Davos? 
Yeah, and I think that actually we'll find that Trump is going to <clears throat> change his his tune because I think that what we're what we're discovering is that elites need activists because if we want to accomplish the things they're talking about, like planting a trillion trees or doing this large scale climate mobilization, the only place that that's going to come from are the very activists that Trump is now attacking. I think you're actually going to see him his him switch his his tune on activists and realize that that the 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 capacity for activists to mobilize is something that's unique to this particular social um, group mm -hmm. and, and, and that we're necessary now to elites. We're, uh, we're becoming necessary to power, which is why you are now finding us at places like WEF and Davos. And, and you, know, you, you, said, you said openly there needs to be a new approach from, from not just from the, the elite yeah. side, but from your side as well. Right. What, what, are, what do the activists need to change in the way they do things to make themselves better heard? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think it's going to be a really difficult choice. I think what's basically being offered to activists is that we can have a global, unprecedented climate mobilization to plant, for example, one trillion trees with yep. hundreds of millions of people in the mm -hmm. street. In exchange, I think questions like income inequality and political revolution are going to be put on the back burner. I think that the next 10 years are going to be about climate and mobilization and working with elites, and in exchange, political revolution is going to be kind of sidelined. Is, is uh, you know, protesting on the street, again, this is something you've said, is, is perhaps not the right way to do it. What, you know, what's, the, what, what's the best way, what's the most effective way to protest, would you think? You know, I'm, I'm here at Davos for the first time. I'm sharing my story. I'm making sure that the trans perspective is included in this conversation. Yeah. We have yeah. this big conversation about climate change, but what tends to get lost is a conversation the trans perspective yeah. is also affects climate change, whether it's the concept of, of you know, natural calamity where gender-based violence usually is the first thing that happens, mm -hmm. or when it comes to the migration and refugee crisis. You know, when trans um, people are not recognized in, in, in different environments or different countries. How, I mean, how happy are you with the, the agenda uh, 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 and the, the, the sessions, the LGBT sessions that we've seen this uh, included this year for the first time. How happy are you, are you that, that it's at least a start? Sure, it's, it's a great start. I'm sure we could do more. I'm sure, um, I mean, all of our voices, they're, they're now being heard. Having a space, whether I'm moderating a panel, interviewing, people and, and most mo most importantly LB in situations where I'm having converse, a dynamic engagement with so many different people yeah. you know there's a report last year that was uh, released that it would take 257 for us to achieve gender parity yeah. and I think having the understanding the gender <clears throat> fluidity the genders within the spectrum is is at the core of that understanding that the, for so long this understanding of rig rigid understanding of what a man should be or what a woman should be I think sure, if we truly sure. understand the genders spectrum uh, Nami, I know you've only been here for a couple of days, but but a couple of things. You know, who who here that you've spoken to really inspires you? And and two, when they say to you, Naomi, come back next year, do, do, you, do you hold your hand up and say, yes, it was worth it in terms of what I believe in, or you know what, I'm going to go speak to other pe another group of people. I do think it was worth it. I think that the fact that they're um, incorporating young voices into the forum this year is really important because that's not something they've um, really done before. Uh, people were praising how many women um, mm -hmm. are at the conference, but it's only 24% out of 3,000 people, which is 720 women out of 3,000 men, which isn't which is barely any women, and I agree, it's a lot better than it was like 20 years ago. But I don't think it's something that we should be praising as who, much. Who, who, yeah, okay. Who, who here really inspires you, or, yeah. or do you feel that most of these people here are the ones who've actually let you guys down? Um, 
I, I, I haven't met him yet, but Mark Thompson, the CEO of the New York Times, uh -huh. um, I really want to meet him. I want to be a columnist for the New York Times, and I want to be the president of the New York Times. So I really would like to meet him and discuss um, writing with him. All right, all right. Um, Micah, who, who are you meeting with this week? I mean, again, you know, this messy alliance or whatever, whatever you said about it between elites and activists, uh, it has to happen. I know people say to you, you know, why are you going to Davos? You know, what, this says the wrong things about uh, about you and about about the movement. You thoroughly disagree with that. Who, who? Tell us about some of the constructive meetings you've had this week. Yeah, we actually had a very interesting meeting yesterday. That was kind of an off-the-record Chatham House Rules um, session where we brought together activists and industry mm -hmm. and civil society to talk about this idea of can we form a united front where we are working together as adversaries but for a higher goal. We're putting aside our differences for a higher goal. And it was it was fascinating, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I can't tell you exactly what, what transpired, but the main thing was there was a tremendous hunger. I mean, we had industry in there that represents one, one person's industry, their business had 350,000 employees. And there was the, the hunger for the conversation to me, signals that it, we're going to continue. My yeah. only concern is I don't think there's much time. Yeah. You know, we yeah. can't just keep yeah. having. It's not like I want to come back next year and have the same conversation. Well, this is, I mean, this is the point. I mean, you talk about the hunger. Right. I mean, you know, when, when we talk about climate, when we talk about diversity. I mean, I've been here for the last uh, 13 years, and I've heard about that hunger every single year. And every single year, people are talking about the hunger. It's actually doing stuff that matters, right? Um, and what do you, what do you, anything here, Gina, that you hear that's really going to make you think, yeah, we, we've moved this conversation on. I think there's a there's a, a consistent conversation about how we could make this this powerful entity be more inclusive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like um, having uh, uh, people that they're making sure that our voices that are not typically heard are heard, and making sure that we we're open to engaging when it comes to like uh, different initiatives that would highlight the needs of the people that are not usually heard in big platforms like this. Yeah. yeah. How much are you talking about? Uh, uh, gun violence here in Davos this year. Um, if you bumped into Greg out, what would you say to him? Well, I'm... I feel like I would try to explain to him, of course, the pain that the younger generation feels and try to get him to see what actually happens in schools when there's violence, what actually happens to black women during domestic violence. But I don't think there's anything that we can do. I feel that when someone is set in their beliefs, as I said, there's nothing you can do. And it's kind of a waste of energy trying to convince somebody with all of your might to believe what you believe. Yep. So I think you can agree to disagree, but continue doing what you're doing. Okay, look, fi final question to all of you. And, and I know, Gina, you use the media a lot to, to elevate justice mm -hmm. and equality. And, and media, that's a whole nother conversation, yeah. uh, for, probably for another day. But what, when you leave uh, on Friday or Saturday, or whenever you're leaving, wh wh what, what would be a real success for you personally? I think a real success would to see more trans people in at Davos next Adams. year. You know, I okay. think I would love to see that initiative where um, we're, we're in every conversation, you know, trans people, LGBTQ people are not single issue people. I mean, we're having this conversation in mainstream media about trans people. I mean, like, uh, for so long, I mean, like, in context of American um, pop culture, like, 84% of Americans doesn't know a single trans person. Mm -hmm. You know, and usually the way you deal with, with um, uh, understanding and seeing a trans person is usually in media. And we don't, and, and if you don't get a, an accurate portrayal of trans lives and the nuanced conversation, you, you, what happens is that it yeah. leads to violence, it leads to mm -hmm. 
dehumanization <clears throat> that's currently happening in, in our government. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's why activists are here, because if our governments are not going to protect us, we're going to stand up for ourselves. All right. Um, Naomi, what's next for you? I mean, this, this, this sort of thing is possibly a, a full-time <laughs> job, right? Uh, yeah. and, and clearly, you're at school, uh, you're, you're, you're learning, you're excited about your future. What, what, what's next for you? I definitely want to focus on my schoolwork. My mom has made sure that I put school first before anything else because nothing's going to happen to my non-existent career if I don't pass middle school. <laughs> right. So um, I really want to be a journalist. As I said, I think that journalism is such a key part in educating people. I feel that a lot of journalists and reporters tell the stories that they think people want to hear, mm -hmm. and they tell them what people will be comfortable hearing instead of the stories that they need to hear. Yeah, and so yeah. I would like to be able to share an unbiased point of view. Well, I hope one day maybe you're, you're back in Davos sitting in this chair. Yeah, being the journalist, yeah, I hope to see that. And uh, Micah, um, final thought from you. Uh, what is a successful meeting for you here as you head back? And no doubt there'll be lots of people saying, I can't believe you're in the mountains with all those elitists. But what, what, what is it for you? Look, I mean, from, from Davos, I'm going directly to London to meet the founders of Extinction Rebellion to talk about this idea of kind of a united front. So I think success for me is to just interject this pressing question into the mind of elites and activists about how do we actually achieve an unprecedented global climate mobilization? It's going to require something like Occupy Wall Street times 10. Mm -hmm. And the only place that's going to come from is activists, but, it's, but it requires elites and governments to take a hands-off approach to climate protests in exchange for basically sidelining political revolution and focusing exclusively on working together on a massive, on, I mean, hundreds of millions of people in the streets is what we need. Yep. And so that's, that's I'm, I'm going to go from here to Extinction Rebellion and kind of like interject that debate into activist community. All right, look, we, we will be watching all of you uh, very closely and, and with great interest. Hope to see you back here as well. And, and then we can tell whether you think it was worth being here in the first place. <laughs> Thanks so much to, to Micah, uh, to Naomi uh, and to Gina. Gr Thank great you. To, uh, for you to share your Thank thoughts you. with us this morning. Uh, Donald Trump was back in town yesterday, of course, with a message that sometimes sounded uh, like a challenge uh, to the Davos agenda. Fear and doubt is not a good thought process because this is a time for tremendous hope and joy and optimism and action. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. All right, joining me uh, now is Texas Governor Greg Abbott. Um, uh, Governor, many thanks for uh, speaking with us here on Davos today. Uh, is, it, is it fair, Governor, to say that the president's message, and I believe your message uh, here, uh, is a little bit at odds with, with the pleas on climate and these desperate efforts to shake up capitalism? Uh, uh, to, the, to the contrary, the message from Texas shows that uh, the United States and the state of Texas can continue to be robust in the production of oil and gas, while at the very same time uh, in ta taking action to ensure that we are being climate conscious. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, and that is, uh, Texas is one of the largest oil and gas producers in the entire world. If Texas were its own country, we would rank fourth in the world for oil and gas production behind Saudi Arabia, Russia, and the rest of the United States. While at that very same time, Texas has been an international leader with regard to things like renewables. Texas ranks number one in the United States for wind energy production. We, we rank in the top five internationally 
for wind energy production. Uh, this year we doubled the amount of solar that we produced last year. Uh, next year we will double what we're producing this year, and the year after that we will double that. So we are growing exponentially uh, yep. in solar. Also importantly, during the time period when Texas increased oil and gas production, we reduced NOx pollution, which is a form of air pollution. And so we can have it both ways. But what the president was trying to convey, uh, and that is the reason why the United States economy is functioning so well, is because of capitalistic principles. He didn't want to come in and have to apologize for anything. He wanted to come in and show what exceptionalism looks like sure. and that every country can succeed in that very same way. Did it smack to you a little bit of a, of a campaign speech yesterday? Well, it, it did. I mean, the, the, I think what you heard yesterday is what the president is going to be talking about from now until Election Day, because the president has a lot to be proud of, a lot to brag about, a lot of positive results because of the policies that he's made. I might add one more thing in about what he has done that shows what, what he has done, what Texas has done, what other countries can do, and that is to reduce regulations. Regulations add cost. They drive up the cost of doing business. It makes it more difficult for businesses to be able to achieve a profit. The, the U.S. and Texas model of reducing regulations, uh, accelerating the permitting process, means you, you can do a whole lot more sure, sure. Uh, with regard to economies growing. I, I, you know, I hear what you have to say on the on the renewables and the solar in Texas. I want to talk a little bit now about about, about energy. Does it does it worry you uh, that that a lot of the people here in Davos are taking the, the the Greta Thunberg manifesto seriously, the oil divestment uh, piece? I think, listen, I think it's very important for everybody to come in and put their ideas on the table and see uh, which ones are the best. As I articulated, it seems like uh, the Texas model, the U.S. model uh, of being able to produce oil and gas as uh, well as work to re reduce uh, uh, greenhouse gases. In, in Texas, we've been reducing greenhouse gases. We've been reducing methane despite the fact that we've been increasing the production of oil and gas. But let me add one last thing. And, and that is what Texas is doing by producing so much natural gas. It has caused Texas to reduce the amount that we are relying upon coal. Mm. It has made our air cleaner. Relatedly, Texas is going to be an international leader in exporting LNG to countries sure. that are relying upon coal, ensuring that those countries are going to be able to clean up their air and, and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But at the same time, Governor, uh, with all due respect, uh, yes, U.S. gas helps displace coal, but Texas is also one of the biggest uh, gas flares, I'm told, bigger, bigger apparently than Iraq during uh, Saddam Hussein's uh, tenure. Uh, how, how do you respond to that when people here ask you about it? It must put you on the defensive, surely. Sure. Well, listen, we, we are not pleased about uh, the amount of flaring that's taking place in the state of Texas. However, one reason for that flaring is because uh, at, at the time that that oil and gas was being produced with the gas flaring taking place, uh, we had an inadequate amount of what's called pipeline takeaway that would take away uh, both the oil and the gas from the area that, where it was being produced. As a result, uh, Texas, over the past year or two, uh, has been very aggressive in, in building a massive amount of pipeline takeaway that a massive amount of pipeline takeaway is going to cause a reduction in that flaring. One final question I've got for you, uh, Governor. Um, uh, you're one of the Super Tuesday states, of course, in Texas. Which of the Democratic candidates do you think has the best opportunity of winning over the hearts and minds of Texans? Yeah, flip a coin, roll the dice. I have no idea. I mean, uh, it's so close right now. Mike Bloomberg's going to be spending a lot yeah, of money so, there, so, by all accounts. 
He, uh, uh, Mike Bloomberg is spending a lot of money in the state of Texas. His polling numbers still remain low in the state of Texas. Uh, here's what we often see in these presidential primaries, and that is there's going to be someone who's going to gain momentum after Iowa, after New Hampshire, after uh, South Carolina. They will come into the state of Texas with some wind at their back, and we'll see how much money they have. So I think the Democratic field is completely wide open. All right. Governor, thank you so much for talking with Reuters today. Right, uh, let's get a, a different perspective on energy. I've got to make it out to uh, the balcony now. With me uh, on the balcony, waiting for me, Colombian Energy Minister Maria Fernanda Suarez and Hela Thorning-Schmidt, the former Prime Minister uh, of Denmark. Many thanks uh, to both of you. Um, I don't know if you heard that. We did. Uh, OK, so what's your message? I mean, he, yes, Greg Abbott's here talking about sustainables and, and, and solar in Texas and clearly pushing that message, which he has to do here, let's face it, because he is on the defensive. Um, do you buy it? Well, at least he's talking about it, and we heard very clearly what he was saying. He's talking about a low-emission economy, uh, and uh, that is not what his president said uh, yesterday. We both heard the, uh, the president talking in the plenary yesterday, and uh, he didn't even mention climate change. It didn't exist. And I would say there are only about five global leaders at this stage in 2020 who would go on the stage in the World Economic Forum, use uh, 20 minutes to talk to the world and not even mention the suffering of all the people who feel climate change right now. Just look to Australia. Minister, yeah, sure. Minister, you know, that, that the irony of giving, uh, I've talked about it a lot this week, top billing to, a, to, to probably the greatest climate change denier. Uh, I'm sure that didn't pass anyone by that irony. What, what, what was your feeling? Well, um, my feeling is that we have to address that climate change is a reality, that we have to accelerate all the programs on energy transition, uh, and that we, only if we acknowledge the problem, we will be able to mm -hmm. accelerate the solutions. Is there a danger, though, when we've talked about the Greta Thunberg manifesto as well a lot, complete oil divestment right now, is there a danger when you come with really, really strong messages like that, there's going to be a little bit of a backlash? People are going to say, whoa, hold on, this is not something we can do. And we spoke to the IMF about this yesterday and the effect it would have on, 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 the, on the global economy if that were to happen. What's your thought on well, that? Well, of course there can be a backlash, but I appreciate that the young people who are not super impressed with our generation, how we have handled uh, the environment and, and the climate, that they are actually speaking up now. And then it's up to our generation to find solutions. So that's what we are trying to do now. And I will say, if Colombia can do it, then the Americans can do it uh, as well. I mean, Colombia is a country that has struggled with many, many different things. If they can bring, bring an energy transition, so can the rest of the world. Yeah. I do believe that it is important that it gain momentum, but they are demanding some things that, at least for now, are a little bit unrealistic. Mm. So you have people on the street demonstrating for climate change, but at the same time you have, for example, on Paris, the yellow vest, because nobody wants uh, gasoline prices to be raised. So we need to make sure that solutions are not a miracle, because we have to live with the technology that we have right now. Yep. So demonizing oil and gas is not positive at all, no, because no. we all use it. Uh, Heather, is, 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 is renewable energy enough anymore? We, you know, we, we talk about uh, being carbon neutral. We talk about being carbon negative here now, and, and some companies are moving that way. Um, you know, is, is what you're doing at Vestas, for example, enough right now? How much further do you really need to go? And what are your ambitions? Well, I think we can go as far as uh, we, we have to. Uh, I'm on the board of, of Vestas, uh, one of the biggest windmill companies in the, in the world. And I think we have proven that we can, we can compete uh, with the old forms of creating energy. And uh, we will compete in the, in the coming years. And I think we will see when we get into uh, new technology, as you're saying, we will be able to compete uh, completely with old uh, 
old technologies and that we have to face them out. I, I respect that you have to take it in a certain facing, but we have to face it out and we have to do it now. We need to listen to the young people. They are, mm -hmm. as I say, they're not impressed what, what we have done until now, so we need to speed up. Yeah. So we, know, of course, need to find the balance, uh, but we have to err on the side of where we can actually, right in front of us right now, see the consequences of climate change. You, you, clearly, you, know, you, you clearly hold you know, governments like Colombia up uh, in terms of what they're doing. You know, yeah. what, what other governments would you put up there on the pedestal and say these are best in class? And they're not just the public sector. Tell me a little bit about the, your thoughts on the private sector. Which big corporates do you think are really sending the message, the right message now? Well, I thought it was very cool that Microsoft uh, yeah. last week said that they would now have a, a negative uh, CO2 mm. impact. It's not it's something that's easy to say. It's not that easy to do. And I really feel that governments have to do their part. I will point out to my own government, uh, the Danish government, which have now set perhaps one of the highest ambitions in the world in terms of renewables, uh, showing that it can be done. So that's one thing. Governor, governments have to do their parts. But also these big companies, they have to do their part. And what I'm hearing in Davos this week is actually that they're willing to do it mm -hmm. and coming up with real clear proposals. One of the great news of today in Davos is that the World Economic Forum had tried to come up with a, a new plan of how we can have common metrics yeah. on uh, sustainability, yeah. both in terms of environment and but, social but I don't think, But I don't think any, and you know, metrics not just on, on that, but the whole ESG space, yeah. I don't think any company, any company at all can tick all the boxes right now. No, they can't, but I, that's why I think the, the climate <coughs> activists, they are also part of pushing this. I yeah. appreciate that the young people can even be bothered to come here because they're showing that they think that dialogue is still an important part and they want to be part of the solution and, and, and talk to all of us here yeah. and try to push us. Does Hella Thorne-Schitt sound a little bit too optimistic, do you think? Yes, and I think that... On you you the, think on she the, is too optimistic? <laughs> okay, and I okay. think that on the, uh, on the SDGs. Yeah. Uh, part of what we need to, to make sure is that there are countries like Colombia that are still in the process of full development. Mm -hmm. And the available income is completely different in European countries than in countries in development. And when you see the SDGs, you see that the SDGs are 17 SDGs, not just one SDG mm -hmm. that it's climate. And of course, that we need to acknowledge that the, uh, the, the global warming is an issue and address the solution, yeah. but we need to make sure that we do not leave anything, anybody behind. And, and part of the big discussion here is Davos is who is going to pay? Because when you see regarding the level of emissions mm -hmm. per capita mm -hmm. of developed countries towards undeveloped countries is completely different. That's our show. Thanks to our guests and our producers, Ben Kellerman and Jenna Zucker. And thank you to the Davos Today video team who made these interviews happen. You can watch the full discussions on Reuters.com. <laughs>